if I haven't met you before, I'm Jess Archer, B. Sterling's wife. Make sure you, <laughs> sure, <laughs> make sure you come and say hello after we're, after we're done here. Um, I am, I have to tell you, if, if I have an A game, I don't know if I really do, but if I, if I have an A game, I'm not on it tonight. I feel really out of it. Um, probably like a lot of you, we've been dealing with a lot of sickness in our house for the last couple of weeks. And um, even right now, um, my daughter Iris is home with a sitter. Um, she's just had ear infections that's now coming out as a, a rash and all kinds of stuff. So I feel a little, I've got my notes, but I feel a little frazzled, so bear with me. Um, it is good to be here tonight, and um, especially on this beautiful evening. The weather is lovely again. It's back to our Austin that we like. Um, so at the start of 2018, David began this series called Good Fortune. And he has said to you all many times through this series that this isn't so much about the fortune cookie. You know, you open a fortune cookie and you think, ooh, what's it say? Wouldn't that be fun if that really was my future? Not so much that kind of fortune, but the good fortune that we have in God's word, the promises in his word. So banking on those promises for this coming year, that's what we're talking about. So I'm going to continue with that talk, and tonight I'm going to talk about a passage from John. I'm going to speak about John 16, uh, verses 29 through 33. If you have a Bible and you want to look at it, um, that'd be great. We'll also have the scripture up here in a minute. But it's funny that David asked me specifically to talk about these verses because <laughs> when I read them, I was like, oh man, I have such a hard time with those verses. It's really hard for me. Because the verses are all about um, the trouble that we have in this world and trusting God's goodness despite trouble. And I find that a really difficult thing to do. So that's what I'm going to be talking about here tonight. So let's look at the scripture. Um, it'll be up here, and I'm going to read it for you here. John 16, 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The word of the Lord. So um, it's always helpful when we look at scripture like this uh, to look at the context, right? To examine the context in which Jesus spoke these words. So if you remember, this is the Last Supper. This is the night before our Lord is to be betrayed and handed over to die. And he's sitting with his closest friends at the table. And in this passage, he has just used some of the most um, significant metaphors he'll ever speak. You know, he's talked about the vine and the branches. He's washed his disciples' feet. He has um, used metaphors like the pregnant woman and in labor and the pains of labor. He's used the headiest, 
imagery possible. And the, the disciples have been nodding their heads and are like inside, like, we don't understand it all. So then he, the disciples say these words, oh, now we understand what you're saying. And, he, and then Jesus says this humorous line, oh, you believe at last. But he knows their hearts and he knows they don't really know and they don't really believe uh, fully. They can't yet. So this is the context. And then Jesus says the verse that I want to talk about. He says this last verse, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I'm going to come back to this context but I just wanted to refresh your memory, as I always need to be refreshed, that what, what is the scene here? So the disciples are at the table. This is the context. Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. But first, I want to just be open with you, my church, about why these verses are so difficult for me to embrace. Um, some, some of you know me and you've read my first book and you know that I'm predisposed toward anxiety. Um, I already am anxious. So when Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, it's like, I know. You know, I'm like, nobody had to tell me that. You know, I remember as a child, um, I spent many years, um, year after year, with consumed with a what-if fear. It was like a different fear every year. Um, now looking back, my family loves to laugh at me for them. Like one year I was really terribly worried that I would get bit by a deer tick on my head and that I would get Lyme's disease and then I'd be paralyzed on half my body. Truly, I was terrified of it. I was like, it's gonna happen, you know? And I spent months just in agony over this possible trouble that I might face. Um, I spent another year worried that I would probably have to get a blood transfusion at some point in my life. And what if they still had blood that contained the HIV virus in it? Like, you know, like I was a nine-year-old worried about these things. So I really knew that this world was trouble. I was pretty sure of it from an early age. I was like, this world is trouble and I don't know how to live in it. It scares me. Um, so when Jesus says, this world, you're going to have trouble. It was terribly disconcerting to me, and it still is. You know, and then another reason this passage is hard, I became, when I became a parent, like some of you, then the worries weren't about me, they were about the children. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much worse than, wor this is so much worse than worrying about myself, worrying about a, a, another little human being. The day Ace was born, I remember holding him in my arms. He only weighed four pounds. And I looked at him and I thought, I love this person more than I've loved anyone. Sorry, babe. Uh, and then I thought, I'm in big trouble because now I love someone this much. Now there's the possibility of losing so much. It's pretty scary. You know, to be honest, I would really prefer, <laughs> I'd really prefer a spirituality that's like, the name it and claim it kind, you know, where you're like, if I only think positive thoughts, then the universe will bring me positive experiences. And the more I think positive, the less negative I'll have. That sounds great. Like, if, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit in my life, I'd probably reach for those books at the bookstore. Like, you know, how to welcome only positivity in your life. I'd be like, ooh, you know, it sounds enticing, doesn't it? Unfortunately, we know that... Uh, 
negative experiences can't be stopped by thinking them away. It's certainly great to think positively, but that won't change the reality of a world caught in the sin. So we have this passage, and um, it's hard to reconcile. And then lastly, you know, I, the last year and a half, you, a lot of you know this, I've been working with refugees. I've been doing a photojournalism project about refugees who resettle in Austin. And um, in addition to getting to know their stories, I've also been teaching them English. And if I didn't believe this world was trouble, uh, being with refugees will remind you that this world is trouble. I mean, these are people who, by very nature of the word refugee, are um, experiencing the worst troubles in this world. Um, every single one of them is here because they've had um, maybe a family member killed by an insurgent group. They've experienced genocide, famine, war. Most of them, uh, the ones that are under 25, have never um, lived outside of a refugee camp. They were born in a refugee camp. You know, their, their whole existence is in the context of trouble, right? They were born into a camp that was provided because of the troubles their parents experienced. So the Lord is just like, it's true, this world is trouble. And it's so hard, it's so hard to, to be all right with that. So, what, so then, of course, what's a person to do? Where do we find the kind of peace that is not just the absence of trouble, the kind of peace that can't be affected by trouble or danger or sorrow, or the kind of peace that surpasses a propensity toward anxiety like my own. So I want to suggest to you and to myself three ways of thinking about this line that Jesus speaks to his disciples. Um, he said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Peace and trouble, they seem so seemingly at odds, but the Lord here is saying that both peace and trouble are a believer's life. So the um, theologian John MacArthur points something out about the context uh, of Jesus' words. I said I wanted to come back to that. And John MacArthur says this about the context. He says, it is ironic that what is surely the most definitive discourse on peace in all of scripture comes from Jesus on the night before he is to die in agony. Think about that. Jesus looks into his disciples' eyes and he says, you are my best friends. In a few hours, you're going to abandon me. You're going to leave me because you'll be terrified. And I'm going to die. It's going, to be, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be a horrific death. I'm going to die. And he looks at them and he says, but I have total peace about it. And I want you to have my peace. That is the context of these verses. Another thing to consider in all of, these, in all of this is the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. And shalom means peace, but not in the sense that I tend to think of it. I tend to think of peace as the absence of conflict, right? No conflict, no suffering. But shalom suggests an abundance of something, not the absence, an abundance. Shalom means 
I hope that you experience the highest good, right? To say shalom to you, to say shalom to someone means I hope you experience an abundance of God, right? And it seems (laughs) that the biblical highest good or shalom isn't dependent on circumstances. We have proof of this. Paul, the apostle, experienced shalom in prison. It was while in prison that he penned his famous words. He said, I know how to be content in any situation. Or in the book of James, James writes, Consider it all joy, my friends, when you encounter various trials. Peace seems to be less about the absence of conflict and more about seeking a better way. I'll say that again because I I need to hear it. Peace seems to be less about the absence of conflict and more about seeking a better way despite circumstances. Joy is not the way I naturally tend to encounter trials, which is how I know I need the Holy Spirit to transform me more and more. You know, sometimes God uses experiences with my children to begin to pry my heart open a little bit to understanding these things. Um, and I said, I told you the last couple of weeks we've been slammed by bugs, you know, germs and sickness. And last week, Ace was home sick for three days with a pretty high fever. And um, on the first day when his fever was just, it was really high and he was on the couch and he, you know, it's that fever where you're just completely helpless. You're just laying there in, in, in agony. And I was lifting him up to help put some water in his mouth. And he said, and he started to cry. And he goes, I feel so weak. And, and of course, my first response as a parent was, I know. But trust me, I'm not going to leave you, bud. You know, I'm right here. I'm not leaving. And the Holy Spirit did that thing like poke, poke, poke right at my heart. And I felt the Lord say to me, how much more does the Heavenly Father promise to not abandon you? The Father who knows how to love better than you. And he says he won't leave you. The peace of Christ, this peace that the Lord is talking about in this verse. I love this this description. I, this, I didn't come up with this, this wording. It says, the peace of Christ means we sit down in our hearts. We stop our frantic movement. We sit down in our hearts. We let our hearts sit down and trust that he is not abandoning us to our troubles. So I'm, I'm sure that I've I've only talked for about 10 minutes, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out probably early. But I want to end um, with an encouraging story about um, some friends of mine who are experiencing this peace of Christ despite circumstances. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So my best friend from college, her name is Jill, and her parents are Dave and Cindy, and I've known... Dave and Cindy for as long as I've known Jill and I've uh, gotten to know them all over you know these past 20 years so um, I have recently learned how they are experiencing the Lord's peace through some difficult um, circumstances and I want to tell you about that so Dave Jill's dad has been a pastor for many years he's also been he's been a church planter and pastor and then he also 
taught high school Bible class um, for a long time. And recently, in the last two months, Dave has had to come face to face with his alcohol and drug addiction. It's kind of a scenario that you've probably heard of before. He, Dave had some major surgery done on both his knees about 10 years ago. And um, at the same time that he had that surgery done, he was also looking for a new teaching job. So he was out of work. And that kind of, the, the, the surgery and being completely, you know, immobile and unemployed sort of sent him into a depression. And he kind of allowed himself to just get addicted to painkillers. And um, some time went by and the doctors would no longer prescribe him painkillers, and then he started to drink a lot, and he found himself drinking all the time, pretty much all the time, and, um, and then he started hiding it, his drinking, and um, then 10 years later, here we are, and Jill's dad, you know, is hiding alcohol in his trunk and lying about drinking all day long, and um, to his grown children, you know, to my friend Jill and to his wife. Um, and remember, this is a man who loves Jesus, you know, who um, knows his Bible really well, but he struggles with this addiction. And just last week, he allowed himself to be admitted to a rehab clinic. So he is now in a, at a clinic doing rehab. But does anyone know how this will turn out? We don't. We don't know. We are hoping and praying for Dave that he is able to receive help and um, recover and um, gain tools for this addiction. Now, at the same time, Jill's mom has been diagnosed with breast cancer. So her husband's coming face to face with his addiction while she gets the news that she has breast cancer. And um, on the first day of Jill's chemo treatment, her husband, Dave, was nowhere to be found. And uh, turns out, Jill found out later, he was holed up in a hotel room, you know, drinking his sorrows away that he had not been there for his wife. And um, so that's their, that was the reality that day. And um, so when you hear about this, like when I've heard about it through, with Jill talking on the phone all the time about it, you know, of course what I do is I'm like, Okay, who's to blame, and how did it start, and how can they fix these problems, right? That's the way our minds work, is like, let's fix it. But I'm not sure that's how the Lord wants us to always approach our troubles. So I'm going to leave you with what Cindy, Jill's mom, said to her on the phone the other day. I asked her if I could write it down, and here's what Cindy said. She said, Jill, I have no idea if your dad is going to get sober. I pray he will. I believe he wants to, but I don't know. And I'm going to have to let that be what it is. I just don't know. And will I be cured of cancer? I don't know. I pray that I will be. I'm thinking positively about it. But you know what, Jill? For the first time in a really long time, I have so much peace. I feel like I'm looking right into the calm, beautiful eyes of Jesus. And I don't want to look away. Despite our troubles, I have never experienced such peace in Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, 
you said to your disciples and to us, my peace I give you. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Lord, we can hardly grasp all that, hardly at all. But we know that you want us, your disciples, to experience your peace in this troubling world. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to infuse us with courage and with your peace, which is shalom, the highest good despite circumstances. So I pray, Lord Jesus, for each person here tonight. I pray that we would be just totally honest with you, Lord, about the areas of our lives where we desperately need your peace. And I pray that we would be vulnerable with each other about those very things as well. And I pray as we go out tonight that you would just bathe each one of us in peace in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.